This is the Life Church Podcast. For more messages, to watch our live stream, or to find other events, go to lifechurchnow.org. When I was in, uh, in high school, I, uh, um, I, I was, you know, I grew up in the country of Panama, and, and, but I went to Department of Defense schools in the Canal Zone. At that time, the Canal Zone, Panama Canal Zone. And so in my high school, they had something called JROTC or ROTC. It's a program kind of like college ROTC, but maybe a little bit more of a baby level of it, you know? And, uh, and so we had training, but because of the uniqueness about ours is that because it was on military bases, uh, all, of our, all of our staff, all of the, the, the people working there were actually active duty military guys who were doing all the training. And so, and I enjoyed it. I was kind of like, that was my thing. I, you know, I, with my little brothers, we played war. Like when we were kids, I mean, it's probably not a nice thing to play, but we play war, you know, we put helmets on and my dad's, all my dad's equipment, you know, we go out there and throw rocks at each other as if they were grenades, you know, and that kind of stuff. <clears throat> and so I'm in ROTC and every summer they would have this program that they would do if you wanted to earn your ranger cord. It was just this black cord that you would wear around your shoulder, you know, it meant you had done the ranger training, at least at our level, ranger training. But you had to go to three weeks of a summer kind of, uh, out in the jungle kind of thing, you know? And so I decided, hey, you know what? Told some friends of mine, I want, you know, I was really competitive. I want, I don't know about all the, tra- I didn't know, I don't know if I wanted all the training. I wanted the cord to wear, you know, that's what I really wanted. And so, and so I, you know, I told my friends, hey, we should do this. And they're like, yeah, let's do this. So we decided to do one summer ranger training out in the jungles of, of, uh, of Panama. And to be honest with you, I, I was looking at this like, kind of like, this is fun. <laughs> Was I mistaken? <laughs> this is going to be a blast. We're going to be with friends, you know, away from my parents because, you know, they're always telling us what to do anyways, you know, and we're just going to have a great time for three weeks this summer, right? We hadn't even gotten off the bus and the drill sergeant, like active duty drill sergeant there was screaming and yelling at us back when it was okay to say whatever you wanted to say as a drill sergeant, you know, and he's just screaming and yelling at us, made us get off the bus. We hadn't even... I hadn't even been there an hour. We were already running up this mountain, you know, and, and uh, that was fine. I mean, I was younger and more fit back then. It was okay to run up a mountain, but it was just constant, you know, and all kinds of stuff we did. And uh, you had to, we had to uh, do like survival training, you know, a knife and some matches and you got you to gotta kill something out there and eat it, you know. We, did, we failed miserably at it. We, we couldn't kill anything. Um, anyway, uh, there, there were, we had to do something like repel. We had to repel this five-story tower. And so if you had asked me before the, the thing, the, the ranger training, uh, if you had asked me, I would have been like, oh, yeah, piece of cake, I can do that. <laughs> Until I was up five stories high with a har- nothing but a harness on looking down. I'm like, I, I want my mommy. <laughs> I think that's what I was saying more than anything else. I was terrified, you know. And so here's the, here's the thing. I was not prepared for this. I was thinking that this was going to be a playground. I was thinking, this is just going to be fun in the summer. That's all it's going to be. But this drill sergeant, he was thinking, no, this is a battlefield. This is life and death. You need to really, really engage in this. And so he pushed us to the limit. And I did get my cord, barely. Uh, I, you know, I, I, two things I failed. We didn't, we didn't kill the animal and eat it. And... And we got lost. We were, there was this orienteering piece that you had to like make your way, make your way back. And 
you know, they had, to, they had to find us. They, they were nearby, like we were lost in a neighborhood, I think, is what we were, but, but they found us. <clears throat> I think oftentimes, though, in life, we treat life kind of like a playground. Like it's just all about having fun. It's all about just kind of, you know, at the end of the day, just be happy. At the end of the day, we're just kind of, you know, this is, there's, there's no mission. There's no real purpose of life. We're just kind of navigating through life, having fun, just on a playground, having fun. But I think what the Bible kind of really talks about more than anything else, though, is that life is a lot more like a battleground. Last week, we talked about John 10.10, where in John 10.10, Jesus says, I've come to give you life and life to the full or abundant life. In other words, that's the kind of life he's come to give us. But he contrasts, in the very same passion, he contrasts it with the enemy who's come to kill, steal, and destroy. What Jesus is painting there is that life is really a battleground. We're in a fight, we're in a war, and so a battlefield or a battleground is this place of constant hyper-awareness. It's this awake mentality. We're awake to what the enemy is doing, we're alert to what the enemy is doing. We're watching out, not just for ourselves, but we're watching out for those around us. We're bonding with those with, with whom we're battling with because we're on the same mission, we have the same enemy. We're watching each other's back. I think I have, I have the image, you notice that they're all watching each other's back. That's the battleground. That's the battlefield that we're in. The Bible challenges us to understand that that's how life is in many ways for us. And so we're going to talk about this for a few moments out of Ephesians chapter 6. In Ephesians 6, Paul is writing. He's writing from Rome. He's likely a prisoner, or he is a prisoner in Rome. He's likely chained to a guard. And he's writing to Christians in Ephesus. Now, Paul understands fully what it's like to have an enemy. He is in prison in Rome because he has enemies who are trying to destroy him. In fact, he's actually chained to a guard. And as he's going to start talking to us out of Ephesians, you know, as we're going to read Ephesians 6, and he's talking to us, we're going to discover that though he understands this idea, this concept of enemy, and that we're in a war, he also understands that his enemy is not that guard that's chained to him. We're also going to understand that his, that, in fact, that guard, that's, he, he gives... Earlier, he says he, he thanks God for the opportunity to be in change because he gets to preach the gospel to them. That's not the enemy. He knows that there's an enemy that's a lot more profound, a lot deeper, a lot more sinister than that. And he wants us to be aware of it. So in Ephesians 6, he says this, a final word. Prior to this, he, had talk about, he talks about identity and behavior and how, uh, how our identity precedes our behavior. Behavior it comes out of our identity, who we are in Christ therefore defines how we live. And then here he says a final word. So this is, so this is how, you, how you're supposed to live. Let me tell you how you should do this, this fight that you're in. He says a final word, be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. It's not just, it's not just about being determined. It's not just about being driven. He says you need to find your strength in God. You and I, all of us in this room, we need to find our strength in God. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against the strategies of the devil. 
For we are not fighting. And that word fighting there is this idea of wrestling, hand-to-hand combat. That's really what, what Paul is talking about. It's not a metaphorical thing out there. It's not like, oh, it's out there. We don't, you know, we just kind of just think right. That's part of it is thinking. But this idea of hand-to-hand combat, that we are wrestling in the ground. He says, we're not fighting. We're not having hand-to-hand combat against flesh and blood enemies. We're instead having hand-to-hand combat against evil rulers and authorities in the unseen world. We're having hand-to-hand combat with mighty powers in a dark world. We're having hand-to-hand combat against evil spirits in the heavenly places. So in verse 12, he says, your battle is not against flesh and blood. Now, I realize when I say that, some of you hear this and you're like, but, but it is. Like, I, can, I, I know that person's name. They might even be, don't look at them, but they might even be sitting next to you. And so for you, it's a very real. You say, Paul says, it's not against flesh and blood, but yes, it's that person. I know, I know exactly who it is. You might think it's that person, but you need to understand that Paul's trying to tell us there's something more significant happening here. Something more profound that we need to open up our eyes to. You might think that your battle is purely physical. That it's the addictions you're trying to break or conquer. It's the relationship that you're trying to save. It's the culture that you're trying to impact. This all might seem very much flesh and blood, but Paul's telling us that it's deeper than that. That there's a spiritual war happening. There are spiritual forces at work and that we need to open up our eyes to that, right? So he references... um, he references an enemy. He talks about the devil. He talks about Satan. And, uh, and I know, you know, gosh, in our modern world, you know, we have a very educated congregation here. You've been to school a lot, you know. And I know that, well, you don't, most, most people don't really believe that, this devil being, right? I mean, we're a little bit more sophisticated than that, aren't we? That that when we talk about Satan or the devil, we mean it more metaphorically. Like when Rich says the devil, yeah, Rich, it's a metaphor, I get it. But that's not what I'm saying. I hope you're hearing me. I believe that there is a real spiritual being called the enemy, called Satan, called in many names, Lucifer, who wants to destroy you. And he would want nothing more than for us to actually think it's a metaphor. For us to walk around life thinking, oh yeah, yeah, that's just, just an idea out there. Most of the world has no problem with the devil. They, they understand it. But in our Western context, we, we feel a little, you know, we're just too sophisticated for us to believe in some guy in red spandex with a pitchfork. You know, that, we don't believe that. It's just, it's, it's stuff, fairy tales of the past. That's what it is. And yet the Bible is clear that we have an enemy. It's a spiritual being who wants to, wants to destroy your life. That our, our battle is more than physical, it's more than flesh and blood. And I think deep down inside, honestly, if you're here this morning and you may have wrestled and battled with this idea of a devil or a Satan or even this idea of spiritual warfare, deep down inside though, I believe that you know there's something more happening here. There's something more happening here, and I know and I recognize it. There's a spiritual battle taking place. Now, for some of us, this is really hard to accept because it takes the power away from us, right? I mean, if it's flesh and blood, then at least, if it is flesh and blood, then at least I can come up with some flesh and blood solutions, right? 
If I can scientifically get it, if I can cognitively understand it, then I can come up with some scientific answers. I can come up with some, some, uh, some real-world solutions to the problem out there. It kind of appeals to our humanistic approach of life. Like if it's broken, and I understand why it's broken, then I can fix it. And that's what we want. I think that's kind of how we oftentimes live our Christian life is we, we believe in a God that's out there and maybe even more metaphorically, but we just kind of live our lives as just human beings, just living it humanistically. <clears throat> and so we think, for, for example, like poverty. Well, poverty is not a spiritual battle. Poverty is an education problem. So let's fix it with education, right? Or violence. Violence is a gun problem. Or depression, it's a psychological problem. We could just get the right dosage and we could just get the right counseling, that'll solve the problem. We think that that's where it's at, that's where it ends, that's what, that's what solves the problem. And I'm not saying that there aren't practical solutions to some of these problems, but there is something more to it. And we're fooling ourselves if we think that you know, socioeconomic equality will solve all of our problems. We're fooling ourselves, we're deceiving ourselves. Like somehow political reform or social activism or, or medical achievements are gonna solve all the problems of this world. And not recognizing that there's a spiritual force taking place. See, we see problems, and the reason we know this, and you know this, you know this. The reason we know this is because there are problems in our world that rationally speaking should have already been taken care of. That rationally speaking, these, like, like, like racism, for example. If we got every human down and we started talking about the realities uh, of race and all that kind of stuff, we, we'd all be like, yeah, no, that's kind of stupid, right? To feel those ways. Or, and, and, and really, this should have been solved a long time ago, and yet it hasn't. And why is that? Well... I think because there's an enemy that's even deeper than that. I think that there's, a, there's a, an enemy, Satan, who wants to make us treat each other in some very evil ways. And so there are some practical things that we need to do, but if we don't pay attention to the spiritual forces at work, we deceive ourselves. If we don't pay attention to spiritual forces at work, we cannot really make change in this world. And so for some of you in your marriages, you've worked really hard to have the kind of marriage you really always dreamed about. And you've done the seminars and you've, and you've taken the class where you've learned the seven steps to a happy marriage. You've done all of that stuff and yet something is missing. Something's not right. Something is, there's still a struggle. And I'm just gonna tell you right now that there is an enemy who wants to destroy your marriage. And maybe that's the culprit. Maybe that's the problem. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. And since our battle is not against flesh and blood, then we don't fight with flesh and blood weapons. Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. <clears throat> he says, we are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. So if we were to be using worldly weapons, we would use you know, weapons like anger and hate. And so when somebody treats me badly, then I'm going to treat them badly back. When somebody, mis, you know, when somebody speaks evil against me, then I'm going to speak evil against them as well. 
You might think that the way to knock down, you know, this stronghold of human reasoning is by getting, by getting into this endless debate on social media. Good luck with that. And I mean, okay, you know what? We're like four years into this now, like a, where, I mean, just it got crazy four years ago in social media with a lot of uh, back and forth, back and forth. And here, here's the deal that everybody had, and I'm not, this is not, I'm not here to talk about social media, but everybody had some very legitimate things they were pointing out. Some very real issues that they're bringing up. But the problem is, the premise is that they thought that the enemy was over there, not recognizing that there was another enemy. And so now, four years removed, what are, where are we? How much better are we after all of those endless debates on social media? We're actually worse off. We're more polarized. We're more divided. We're fighting more against each other. When all along, we were trying to push truth out there. We have God's mighty weapons at our disposal, well, not at our disposal, not, not the weapons of this world. And so when Jesus says, hey, if you have an enemy, then what does he say? Pray for them. Pray for that enemy, right? If they curse you, bless them back. Return hate with love. That's hard to do. It's just easier, easier to return hate with hate. It's easier to return argument with argument. When we do that, when we act the way Jesus acts, this is how evil really is destroyed in this world. So our battle is not against flesh and blood. That's what Paul's trying to tell us. It's against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. So my prayer is that we would open our eyes, that we would see, that we would recognize that we are in a spiritual warfare. See, your enemy is not your unbelieving husband who mocks you, makes fun of you because you come to church here this morning. Your enemy is not that professor who, you know, just kind of, belittles your faith and says that what you, what you believe is just for weak-minded people. It's not your enemy. It's not your co-worker who makes fun of you. It's not your relative who gossips about you. It's not your ex-wife who cheated on you. It's not your ex-husband who, who, who abused you. All of them are just victims of the enemy. That's the truth. They're not your enemy. Our enemies are not the people who disagree with us, the, the, the activist judge or the, or the Muslim terrorist. They are not our enemy. Our enemy is not flesh and blood. So Paul's trying to make that very clear. We don't wage war as the world does. And then in verse 11, he says this, put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against the strategies of the, I love to talk about the armor of God. I don't have time to talk about the armor of God, but I'm going to focus in on this little word strategy. In the Greek, that word is methodius, which basically is where we get the word method from. And so what Paul's trying to tell us here is that, that, <clears throat> that the enemy, you know, when we say, you know, he wants to destroy you, it's like, it sounds so fantastical. Like there's a spiritual being up there that wants to destroy you. And it's easy for us to think, he's just got this like, this, this single, I just hate you all. That's his single strategy. I just hate you all, you know. And if you're just strong enough, you'll withstand it. But if you're, if you're not, if that offends you, then you may not be able to make it. That's sort of the idea that we oftentimes navigate with when it comes to this, the attacks of an enemy. But when Paul speaks here, he speaks of strategies, his methods. Like in military terms, the enemy has painted you. He's ready to take you out. And he knows exactly how to do it. 
That's what he's after. He's after, he's, he's targeting you specifically. He says, put on the whole armor of God, right? This idea that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you've been targeted. So the devil has two primary weapons that he uses. Uh, the two are temptation and accusation. Both of them are rooted in lies. Temptation is telling you, hey, hey, if you, just, if you, do, if you, if you drink this, if you smoke this, if you go out with that person, if you do these, you'll be happier. You'll be satisfied. You'll find life if you just do all these things. It's a temptation, but it's rooted in lies. And then if you happen to just simply be strong enough to resist the temptations of the enemy, like you realize that he's, just, he's, he's lying to you about that, then he re- resorts to accusation. He comes back to the other and says, you know what? You're not good enough. You, you, you know how many times you've messed up? You know how many times you've, you say you're going to really live for God, but then you just go back and you do the same thing? And he accuses you. He's a liar. And that's how the enemy attacks. So that's his weapons, and he uses different strategies to deploy these weapons. I'm going to talk a few minutes about those strategies, and then we're going to bring the service to a close. But one of the strategies is the idea of divide and conquer. The devil loves to use that within a church. He loves to separate us. He loves to divide us on matters of interpretation or preference. And so early on when we started Life Church, I've always, since, since the very beginning, preached at Life Church with blue jeans. You know, this has been my, my thing. There was a reason for it back then. Now it's just comfortable. <laughs> but, um, <clears throat> but I remember back in those early days when people would walk up and say, you know, this is the house of the Lord. Why are you wearing blue jeans? You know, I'm not coming to this church because you wear blue jeans. You know, I know I'm mocking them. I understand where they're coming from. I get it that there's a, some cultural differences going on there. But that's what the enemy wants. The enemy wants to divide us on issues of preference or interpretation so that we separate. And when we're divided, he conquers. Another strategy is blitzkrieg. This is what the Nazis used to invade German, uh, Europe. Uh, this is this attack. It uses concentrated force. It comes quickly. Maybe you identify with that like you didn't see it coming. You thought you were well protected. You thought you had the walls up and prepared. And maybe because of the, your idea that you thought you were well prepared, you might have even let down your guard a little bit. And so this is a person who, <clears throat> who's living for God, who's doing everything they're supposed to be doing. Like they're reading the Bible and they're praying and they're tithing and they're attending church and they even serve in church, you know. But then... This little crack starts cu- cutting in. It's like all of a sudden I start thinking, well, you know, um, I'm doing pretty good. What a pride sets in. I'm doing pretty good. And then they, in their mind, and they don't, it's very sinister. It's very, not, nobody looks for this, but in their mind they start playing this comparison game. Like, yeah, I feel good about myself because look how bad they are. I feel good about myself because I did, you know, I gave more in the offering than they give. I feel good about myself. This little comparison game and the enemy sees that and he targets it and he hits it and he hits it hard. But it's great. Another strategy is this counteroffensive thing where, you know, there's a second wave of attack that happens after the first wave has kind of worn you out. You might sound familiar to some of you. This is one of his favorites. Like he wears you down, he wears you out, when, and when you're tired and vulnerable, then he attacks again in a different way. This is what he did with Job's wife. At the beginning when Job, you know, you know the story of Job, you know, the enemy was given permission to be able to attack his, him and his possessions and his family, and so 
And so he, he was, he's attacked by the enemy. And at first, his wife is like, you know, we're, I'm, I'm in this with you, you know. But after a second wave and a third wave of attacks, suddenly she's like, hey, Job, why don't you just curse God and die? She's worn out. She's been beaten up. And maybe that's where you're at. You're doing pretty good, but then it hits. And you're starting to kind of catch your breath. You're starting to kind of recover, but, but then it hits again. And so it's that diagnosis. Like you were, your cancer was in remission, and you were feeling good about it, and the doctor's giving you a clean slate, you know, and you're feeling good, but you go back to, that, go back to the doctor, and suddenly, out of the blue, he says, you know what, it's come back. Or your marriage was struggling and you got through some really tough times in your marriage, but you've worked hard to get back on track again and you're working well on that, you're doing well, and then suddenly, suddenly, you see something on, on the phone that happened maybe a couple years ago or three years ago and just takes you right back to where you were before the problems ever started. <clears throat> Another strategy of the enemy's shock and awe. It's kind of similar to Blitzkrieg where the enemy tries to overwhelm you with his power and dominance. And what he, his goal is to paralyze you with fear. He comes in so strong, so dominating that you just, you're, you're like, okay, I quit. You surrender. You throw up your, you throw your rifle down. You put your hands up and you're like, I surrender. I quit. I give up. It's just too strong for me. I cannot possibly overcome this, Right? That's the person who's going well with them and suddenly their spouse leaves them and they feel devastated or you get the diagnosis from the doctor and you're devastated. Another strategy is the, the Trojan horse strategy. You know the story of Troy and the Greeks and the Greeks are trying to take the city of Troy but the walls of Troy are just so significant, so strong. There's no way they can penetrate the walls and so after trying and trying they decide to just leave this, this get peace offering gift type of thing behind the Trojans see the horse and they think, oh, it's, it's a peace offering. It's, it's something for us being able to withstand the Greek armies. And so they bring the horse into the, into the city behind the walls. And once the horse is inside the walls, then the soldiers climb out of the horse at night and attack the city from within. And this is exactly what the enemy loves to do with some of us. When we try to live for God, we keep the wall up, we keep the barriers up against the enemy, but then... He sneaks one by us. We look at it like, I deserve this. It's a blessing. Oftentimes this happens in the arena of money and wealth. That you're trying to live for God. You're faithfully tithing. And, you know, and then God starts blessing you because you're faithfully tithing. But then you kind of, your mind gets tweaked a little bit about what, whose money is it? Is it mine? Is it God's? You know, what, what happens? And next thing you know, it becomes this blessing that you thought was a blessing is now a trap. Another strategy of the enemy is distraction. This is where the enemy tries to draw your attention away from, uh, from the battle that's going on. It's the playground. He wants you to play in the playground. Just have fun. Just go through life. Pretend like nothing really matters. Just, just keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it. You're, you're, you're good. He's just trying to distract you from what's going on. Men, this is something, it's a strategy that the enemy uses against us very effectively. Because we can, be, we can get distracted with 70 hours of work. We get distracted with the hobbies, you know, like fishing or golfing or like motorcycle riding. I said that earlier, you know. We get distracted with these hobbies and next thing you know, it's, we're just over there. There's a battle raging and we're just having fun. So we need to understand what these enemies are doing. Now, why am I talking about this? 
One of the reasons that I feel like this is relevant for us right now is because we started, uh, started talking about a Cedar Rapids campus recently. We're going to launch a campus at Cedar Rapids, and with that comes a lot of challenge and struggle. And so when I decided to start this series, teaching this, this series called Unstoppable, my idea was I'm going to talk about the church and how the church is unstoppable. That, you know what, we're going to plant in Cedar Rapids and it's not going to get stopped. That was how I was thinking about it, right? And so I began to prepare for that, and that's kind of the direction I was going in, but it began to morph into more of a series on spiritual warfare. Now keep in mind, I have, I have engaged this, the book of Ephesians for three decades now. I've studied it, I've taught it, I've preached it many times, I've preached this very passage many times. And I've uh, even taught a class in Bible school about it. And so I knew this stuff inside and out, but I'm sitting in the coffee shop this week and I'm reading through the, pe- the text and it's almost like it just jumped off the pages to me. Like in our, in our life, what I did not make the connection, I did not make the connection that, you know, what's happening spiritually in the church and what was happening in terms of spiritual attack in my own life were connected. I'm thinking of the spiritual attack in my own life as just, well, it's people. <laughs> They're the problem. I'm pointing fingers. I'm finding blame. I'm finding solutions. I'm trying to figure out solutions and all that. That's what I was doing. And suddenly I read that passage that our battle is not against flesh and blood. And I mean, it just popped out of the page to me. And next thing I know, I'm at Caribou Coffee just bawling. <laughs> it was really embarrassing. <laughs> Because the Lord was telling me something, he was teaching me something at that moment. We are in a spiritual battle. And sometimes we, we know that intellectually, but we don't actually recognize, our eyes aren't open to it. And so we begin to realize that the enemy has a playbook. That he has strategies, that he's targeted you. Some of you right now, you're fighting for your life. Because the enemy has painted you, he's trying to take you out. And the Bible tells us that we need to stand firm, not in our own strength. Stand firm in the strength that he gives, his strength, his power. So when we pray, we're standing in his strength. When we, when, we, when we intentionally and deliberately get into life groups and life-giving community, we start spending doing life with other people that are building us up, we're able to stand strong. When we worship God, when we come to church, when we stand here... Can I just say something? What we did today, you know, raising your hands and singing songs, it's not entertainment. It, okay, I hope it's entertaining enough. I hope the lights are cool and you like that, all that stuff. But it's not entertainment. It's, here's what I'm saying. Come into these walls, into this building. I'm saying, come through these, wall, these doors. Come through these doors and with a heart open, say, God, I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. I want to I meet you today. And then as the words get projected, those words are actually prayers that you can pray out loud. You can prophetically proclaim for your life. You can say, yeah, nothing is going to stop us. That's what worship is. And so when we worship together, we're strong in the Lord. There's a great story that captures this. It's found in 2 Kings chapter 6. We read about the king of Aram. He's an enemy to Israel. And... um, He's, he's trying to, to basically take Israel out, but there's this prophet named Elisha. And so every time, 
every time the king of Aram starts, you know, staging his forces, Elisha gets a word from God and he goes and tells the king of Israel and then they kind of prepare for it. So there's, they, they resist the attack or, they, or they, they, they change their strategy, go in a different direction. And so King of Aram discovers this. He's like, oh, there's this prophet that's helping him out. Let's take him out. So the, the King of Aram, he sends his entire army, horses, chariots, foot soldiers, to take out this one prophet and his servant. <laughs> entire, a little bit overkill, okay? He discovers he's in the city of Dothan. They surround the city of Dothan. They're going to take this guy out. And then his servant wakes up in the morning, and this is what happens. 2 Kings chapter 6. He says, when the servant of the man of God got up, went out early the next morning. An army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. and whole army had surrounded the city. Now, let me pause here for a second because sometimes I read a passage of scripture, horses and chariots, and you're like, yeah, Rich, but that's not my enemy. I don't have horses and chariots that are attacking me. So I don't get the, I don't get the connection. <laughs> so as we're reading this text, what I'm asking you to do right now in your mind is to understand what are the enemies that are attacking you. They're not horses and chariots, but you might think that it's your boss. You might think that it's your wife or your husband. You might think it's your children who are breaking your heart with the choices that they're making. What are the enemies? Okay. That's what we see, the things that we see, the things that we recognize. An army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. And this is how he says, oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. And then Elisha responds, and this is kind of an incredible statement. This is what Elisha says. He says, don't be Afraid. So can I tell you, don't be afraid as you survey the enemy in your life. As you recognize the attack, don't be afraid, the prophet answered. And he says this, those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And I, I get this mental image of like that servant kind of going Gary Coleman on. Like, what you talking about, Willis? So it's like, it's just two, it's only us two. What are you talking about? It's just, it's just me and you, that's it. And they're a huge army. And then Elisha says that he, he prays for them, for him. He goes, Elisha prayed, verse 17. Open his eyes. Open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. What's being described here is a battle, a spiritual battle. And he says, the words are, those who are with them, let's go to that verse, back, back to that verse, previous verse, um, 16, if we can please, or not, there we go. It says, those who are with us are more than those who are with them. He uses the plural there, those that there are spiritual forces out there. Yeah, there are people you see and you think that's the enemy, but there are spiritual forces out there. This is a scene of a battle. Those who are with us are more or greater than those who are with them. And he's saying, open your eyes to see that there's a battle going on. That's really my prayer for this church, that we would recognize that there's an enemy. Yes, but that's not all. But that we would recognize that we are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ that those who are with us are greater than those who are with them. And so that's my prayer, that we would understand that. 
and we have power through Jesus Christ. Now, some of you here, you're, you're, you're here right now, you've you just been on the playground. And to be honest with you, your, your family and friends, they're tired of it. You're like, you, like, it was fun when you were 11, but now you're 30. <laughs> you're still on the playground. They're like, okay, it's time to grow up. It's time to start recognizing that there is a battle going on all around you. Stop playing games. There's others of you in this room that you've been fighting the battle and you are weary and you're wounded and you're tired and you just want to give up. And I just want you to know that your strength is in the Lord. I'm going to ask you all to stand. Um, one of the things that you could pray as we talk about this and as we recognize that there's a spiritual war going on is that you could pray, God, you are my strength. Open my eyes to see that it's not my wife who is the problem. It's not my husband who's the problem. But there's a real enemy that wants to take me out. We're going to worship now. If you're here this morning, you feel surrounded. I know our time is up. Is up. I'm just asking ask you to indulge me here for a few more minutes but um, you feel like you're surrounded we're going to sing this song that we've sung around here you feel like the enemy has surrounded you, you just don't know what you're going to do, you feel like quitting you feel defeated, maybe it's just, it's taken on the form of just constant fighting and fighting with your spouse maybe it's taken on the form of just financial pressure and struggle and scrambling trying to fix that maybe it's taking on the form of just disbelief you're here you attend church you, you know you, you you've experienced God but now it's just kind of like I don't even know if I believe this stuff anymore what we're going to do is we're going to sing this song and we're going to believe God for him to open up our eyes to see that we're in a spiritual war but even more importantly, we're going to open up our eyes and see that we have the victory. That we're fighting from a position of victory, not a position of defeat or fear. Okay, so as we worship, Jairus leads us in worship in that song. If you're here this morning, you're saying, look, I'm surrounded. I feel like the, I feel like the enemy is attacking me. He's attacking my family. He's attacking my wife. He's attacking my, he's attacking my husband. He's attacking my finances. If that's you, I, I would encourage you to come up the front. We'll just worship up front here. We have prayer teams here that would love to pray with you as well. I encourage you to do that as well. All right? Let's, let's worship. Hear me look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. Hear me look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. Hear me look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you.
blessed, Father. You are in this place. Your spirit, your presence is moving, God. God, you're speaking to lies, Father. We, we may feel surrounded by the enemy. We may feel defeated. We may feel consternation, God. We may feel all kinds of things, God. But we recognize, we open up our eyes to see, God, that there is a battle raging and that those who are with us are greater than those who are with them. So this morning, Father, we surrender our lives to you, Jesus. We recognize that we are yours, Father. We rely on your strength. No longer are we fighting flesh and blood kind of weapons. Father, we're fighting with the spiritual weapons that we have. Father, we surrender our attempts to, to approach things in our own way. Father, help us, Lord, that the first thing that happens when we are faced with challenge and difficulty is that we pray and that we open up our eyes to see what you're doing. That, God, you would speak, that you would challenge us, that you would invite us, Father, into a higher level of living with you, God. God, that you would do miracles in our lives, Father, with marriages or finances or children or, or whatever it is else that we're struggling with, God, that you would just do miracles in our lives. I thank you, Father, for what you're doing. In Jesus' name.